Section 18 of the Underground Railroad, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dore. The Underground Railroad, Part 5. By William Still. Section 18. Portraits and Sketches. William Wright. Memorial. William Wright, a distinguished abolitionist of Adams County, Pennsylvania, was born on the 21st of December, 1788. Various circumstances conspired to make this unassuming Quaker an earnest abolitionist and champion of the oppressed in every land and of every nationality and color. His uncle, Benjamin Wright, and cousin, Samuel B. Wright, were active members of the Old Pennsylvania Abolition Society and at the time of the emancipation of the slaves in this state were often engaged in lawsuits with slaveholders to compel them to release their bondmen according to the requirements of the law william wright grew up under the influence of the teaching of these relatives joined to this his location caused him to take an extraordinary interest in underground railroad affairs he lived near the foot of the southern slope of the south mountain a spur of the alleghanies which extends under various names to chattanooga tennessee this mountain was followed in its course by hundreds of fugitives until they got into pennsylvania and were directed to william wright's house in november eighteen seventeen william wright married phoebe weirman born on the eighth of february seventeen ninety daughter of a neighboring farmer and sister of hannah w gibbons wife of daniel gibbons a notice of whom appears elsewhere in this work Phoebe Wright was the assistant of her husband in every good work, and their married life of forty-eight years was a long period of united and efficient labor in the cause of humanity. She still, 1871, survives him. William and Phoebe Wright began their underground railroad labors about the year 1819. Hamilton Moore, who ran away from Baltimore County, Maryland, was the first slave aided by them. His master came for him, but William Wright and Joel Weirman Phoebe Wright's brother, who lived in the neighborhood, rescued him and sent him to Canada. In the autumn of 1828, as Phoebe Wright, surrounded by her little children, came out upon her back porch in the performance of some household duty, she saw standing before her in the shade of the early November morning a colored man without hat, shoes, or coat. He asked if Mr. Wright lived there, and upon receiving an affirmative reply, said that he wanted work. The good woman, comprehending the situation at a glance, told him to come into the house, get warm, and wait till her husband came home. He was shivering with cold and fright. When William Wright came home, the fugitive told his story. He came from Hagerstown, Maryland, having been taught the blacksmith's trade there. In this business it was his duty to keep an account of all the work done by him, which record he showed to his master at the end of the week. Knowing no written character but the figure five, he kept this account by means of a curious system of hieroglyphics in which straight marks meant horseshoes put on, circles, cartwheels fixed, etc. One day, in happening to see his master's book, he noticed that wherever five and one were added, the figure six was used. Having practiced this till he could make it, he ever after used it in his accounts. As his master was looking over these one day, he noticed the new figure and compelled the slave to tell how he had learned it. He flew into a rage and said, I'll teach you how to be learning new figures, and picking up a horseshoe, threw it at him, but fortunately for the audacious chattel, missed his aim. Notwithstanding his ardent desire for liberty, 
the slave considered it his duty to remain in bondage until he was twenty-one years old in order to repay by his labor the trouble and expense which his master had had in rearing him on the evening of his twenty-first anniversary he turned his face toward the north star and started for a land of freedom arriving at risertown a village on the westminster turnpike about twenty-five miles from baltimore and thirty-five miles from mr wright's house he was arrested and placed in the bar-room of the country tavern in care of the landlady to wait until his captors having finished some work in which they were engaged could take him back to his master the landlady being engaged in getting supper set him to watch the cakes that were baking as she was passing back and forth he ostentatiously removed his hat coat and shoes and placed them in the bar-room having done this he said to her i will step out a moment this he did she sending a boy to watch him when the boy came out he appeared to be very sick and called hastily for water the boy ran in to get it now was his golden opportunity jumping the fence he ran to a clump of trees which occupied low ground behind the house and concealing himself in it for a moment ran and continued to run he knew not whither until he found himself at the toll-gate near petersburg in adams county before this he had kept in the fields and forests but now found himself compelled to come out upon the road the toll-gate keeper seeing at once that he was a fugitive said to him i guess you don't know the road i guess i can find it myself was the reply let me show you said the man you may if you please replied the fugitive taking him out behind his dwelling he pointed across the fields to a new brick farmhouse and said go there and inquire for mr wright the slave thanked him and did as he was directed he remained with william wright until april eighteen twenty nine during the short time he learned to read write and cipher as far as the single rule of three as it was then called or simple proportion during his residence with william wright nothing could exceed his kindness or gratitude to the whole family he learned to graft trees and thus rendered great assistance to william wright in his necessary business when working in the kitchen during the winter he would never allow phoebe wright to perform any hard labor always scrubbing the floor and lifting heavy burdens for her before he went away in the spring he assumed a name which his talents perseverance and genius have rendered famous in both hemispheres that of james w c pennington the initial w was for his benefactor's family and c for the family of his former master from william wright's he went to daniel gibbons thence to delaware county pennsylvania and from there to new haven connecticut where while performing the duties of janitor at yale college he completed the studies of the college course after a few years he went to heidelberg where the degree of d d was conferred upon him he never forgot william wright and his family and on his return from europe brought them each a present the story of his escape and wonderful abilities was spread over england an american acquaintance of the wright family was astonished on visiting an anti-slavery fair in london many years ago to see among the pictures for sale there one entitled william and phoebe wright receiving james w c pennington the doctor died in florida in eighteen seventy where he had gone to preach and assist in opening schools amongst the freemen in eighteen forty two a party of sixteen slaves came to york pennsylvania from baltimore county maryland here they were taken in charge by william wright joel fisher dr lewis and william yoakum the last named was a constable and used to assist the underground railroad managers by pretending to hunt fugitives with the kidnappers knowing where the fugitives were he was enabled to hunt them in the opposite direction from that in which they had gone 
and thus give them time to escape. This constable and a colored man of York took this party one by one out into Samuel Willis's cornfield near York and hid them under the shocks. The following night Dr. Lewis piloted them to near his house at Lewisburg, York County, on the banks of the Conewoga. Here they were concealed several days, Dr. Lewis carrying provisions to them in his saddlebags. When the search for them had been given up in William Wright's neighborhood, he went down to Lewisburg, and in company with Dr. Lewis, took the whole sixteen across the Conewoga, they fording the river and carrying the fugitives across on their horses. It was a gloomy night in November. Every few moments clouds floated across the moon, alternately lighting up and shading the river, which swelled by autumn rains, ran a flood. William Wright and Dr. Lewis mounted men or women behind and took children in their arms. When the last one got over, the doctor, who professed to be an atheist, exclaimed, Great God, is this a Christian land, and are Christians thus forced to flee for their liberty? William Wright guided this party to his house that night, and concealed them in a neighboring forest until it was safe for them to proceed on their way to Canada. Just in the beginning of harvest of the year 1851, four men came off from Washington County, Maryland. They were almost naked and seemed to have come through great difficulties, their clothing being almost entirely torn off. As soon as they came, William Wright went to the store and got four pairs of shoes. It was soon heard that their masters and the officers had gone to Harrisburg to hunt them. Two of them, Fenton and Tom, were concealed at William Wright's, and the other two, Sam, and one whose name has been forgotten, at Joel Weirman's. In a day or two, as William Wright, a number of carpenters, and other workmen, among whom were Fenton and Tom, were at work in the barn, a party of men rode up and recognized the colored men as slaves of one of their number. The colored men said they had left their coats at the house. William Wright looked earnestly at them and told them to go to the house and get their coats. They went off, and one of them was observed by one of the family to take his coat hastily down from where it hung in one of the outhouses a few moments afterward. After conversing a few moments at the barn, William Wright brought the slaveholders down to the house, where he, his wife, and daughters engaged them in a controversy on the subject of slavery which lasted about an hour. One of them seemed very much impressed and labored hard to convince his host that he was a good master and would treat his men well. Finally, one of the party asked William Wright to produce the men. He replied that he would not do that, that they might search his premises if they wished to, but they could not compel him to bring forth the fugitives. Seeing that they had been duped, they became very angry and proceeded forthwith to search the house and all the outhouses immediately around it, without, however, finding those whom they sought. As they left the house and went toward the barn, William Wright, waving his hand toward the former, said, You see, they are not anywhere there. They then went to the barn and gave it a thorough search. Between it and the house, a little away from the path, but in plain sight, stood the carriage house, which they passed by without seeming to notice. After they had gone, poor Tom was found in this very house, curled up under the seats of the old-fashioned family carriage. He had never come to the house at all, but had heard the voices of his hunters from his hiding-place during their whole search. About two o'clock in the morning, Fenton was found by William Wright out in the field. He had run along the bed of a small watercourse, dry at that time of year, until he came to a rye-field amid whose high grain he hid himself until he thought the danger was past. From William Wright's, the slave-catchers went to Joel Weirman's, where despite all that could be done, they got poor Sam, took him off to Maryland, and sold him to the traders to be taken far south. 
1856, William Wright was a delegate from Adams County to the convention at Philadelphia, which nominated John C. Fremont for President of the United States. As the counties were called in alphabetical order, he responded first among the Pennsylvania delegation. It is thought that he helped away during his whole life nearly 1,000 slaves. During his latter years, he was aided in the good work by his children, who never hesitated to sacrifice their own pleasure in order to help away fugitives. His convictions on the subject of slavery seem to have been born with him, to have grown with his growth, and strengthened with his strength. He could not remember when he first became interested in the subject. William Wright closed his long and useful life on the 25th of October, 1865. More fortunate than his co-laborer Daniel Gibbons, he lived to see the triumph of the cause in which he had labored all his life. His latter years were cheered by the remembrance of his good deeds in the cause of human freedom. Modest and retiring, he would not desire, as he does not need a eulogy. His labors speak for themselves, and are such as are recorded upon the Lamb's Book of Life. End of section 18